So tonight, we're going to hear first from Mark Helvey. You have the bios, so I'm not going to go through all these, but Mark is, is recently retired from the National Marine Fisheries Service after 30 years of distinguished service. He's worked with the aquarium on a number of occasions, and it's good to have an old friend and colleague back. And Mark is going to tell us about uh, albacore tuna off Alaska. You've got to be kidding. Mark. Thank you, Jerry, and, and uh, good evening, everyone. Thanks for coming. Um, so uh, you have my bio. I'm not going to go there. Um, let's just talk about this title. Sounds a little strange, doesn't it? How many think there are tuna off of Al albacore tuna off of Alaska? Well, you'll see that it's not that, uh, not that strange. This is a, a photograph of a fisherman on a party boat out of Kodiak, Alaska in August of... Um, of 2015, um, pretty good size albacore. And um, as it turns out, um, that's maybe not as unusual as we may think. So here's, here's a distribution and spawning area of albacore in the North Pacific Ocean. Uh, there's, there's albacore on the Atlantic and there's albacore in the Pacific and Pacific has both the South Pacific and a North Pacific stock. So this stock uh, ranges um, just above Puget Sound, you can see there, um, but every once in a while, it'll venture up. Well, so um, the, photo, the photograph of the, of, the, um, of the albacore tuna by the recreational fisherman is all the way up in, in Kodiak. Um, so if we're talking about climate change, that makes a lot of sense. One of the, one of the basic concepts of, uh, of climate change is that uh, a lot of species are going to be driven poleward. Um, but could that, could that presence off of Kodiak be related to something else? So we're going to talk about that tonight. First, let's look at, uh, look at marine e ecosystem responses to climate change. And there, there are several. Uh, we can have changes in mean annual mean level of primary production. We can have changes in the structure of zooplankton communities. Ocean acidification. Uh, Catherine's going to be speaking about that uh, following me, and I believe you had a speaker last week who talked about that. Ocean deoxygenation. Productivity changes and adaption for fish and, and invertebrates. And then distributional range shifts for fish and, and invertebrates. So we're going to there's a lot of topics when we talk about climate change and marine ecosystems, but tonight I'm going to focus on distributional shifts. So my presentation uh, is going to be broken up into two parts. First, I'll talk about distributional shifts in fish, some of the research that's been conducted, some of the things that uh, have, have been found. And then uh, part two, I'll talk about what are the impacts to fisheries and fisheries management and also our food security as it relates to seafood. Okay, so part one, distributional shifts in, in fish. So shifts in marine distribution, basic concepts. For marine fish and invertebrate species, dis distributional shifts may be manifested as poleward shift in the center of biomass. So seeing those, those albacore off Alaska makes a little sense. Um, expansion or contraction of the species range, 
and change in depth distribution. So the question is, are there other factors that may be affecting these albacore that we saw in 2015 off of, off of Alaska? So there's, scientists have, have uh, broken down fish distribution um, factors into, into four main categories. And, and there's, there's minor categories as well. But I'll just go through the, the top four. So fishing pressure, fishermen, commercial fishermen, and, and to extent uh, recreational fishermen, putting, putting pressure on fish populations, that, that can cause a shift in um, distribution. Changes in water temperature, obviously, when we have climate change, we have warmer water, that's gonna affect the, the fish's distribution, as most fish prefer uh, specific temperature ranges. Uh, food availability can also be a factor in, in uh, in motivating fish to, to, to shift. And then the need for suitable spawning and nursery grounds. And uh, I should say these factors aren't mutually exclusive. Now in, uh, in studying climate change, one of the scientific challenges is disentangling or, or separating uh, some factors from one another. And I lost the uh, title to this. Uh, this title for this slide is Disentangling Climate Change from Other Effects. And one of the effects is, is fishing. Impacts of fishing and climate change interact in a number of ways. So you, it can't be really, they can't be treated as separate issues. You need to look at, at how they interact with one another. Uh, Large-scale climatic events can also be indistinguishable from climate change. We all have heard of El Nino, El Niñas. Uh, those are long-term events. And over a longer period, these factors become clearly separable. So now we're talking about data collection and, and looking at trends. So we need to use long time series, time series of fishing activity um, to start at least separating out whether it's uh, fishing pressure or if it's warmer water temperatures that are driving the fish forward. Uh, there was a study uh, done by uh, several scientists in, um, in Europe. They looked at uh, North Sea Place and Sole Fisheries data. Uh, that, what was nice about that database, database was that um, it, was it represented 94 years of data. And both species are targeted by the fishing fleets in the North Sea, and that fishing has been going on so, since the early 19th century. So quite a bit uh, of, uh, of pressure on these two stocks. Um, the distribution of shift in place was attributable to climate change rather than to fishing. That's what uh, they were able to determine. But that climate and fishing played both a role in the distribution shift of soil. So it's not all fish are gonna react the same way. Um, I went through the literature and found some more studies. These were, um, time, the time series here com comprise about 25 years each, 23 years. Uh, but in the North Sea study, they looked at 36 species of demersal fish, bottom, bottom type fish. Two thirds of those species shifted uh, in mean latitude or depth or both. Uh, Northwest Atlantic time period, 67 to 1990, they studied uh, 36 species in one squid. 
Changes in mean latitude of occurrence for 12 of 36 species explained by variations in water, water temperature. And then off the coast of Norway and the archipelago, between um, those years, 77, 94, and 2002, they were using two, two data sets. They looked at blue mussel and found an expansion of its range, uh, extended north, northward by 1,000 kilometers. So patterns, what I'm trying to get at with these two last slides is there, there's a pattern emerging that not all marine species react the same way to climate change, if it is occurring. So now let's look at uh, fishing pressure on albacore. Uh, this histogram goes back to 1952 um, of the fishing pressure on North Pacific albacore. It's a highly sought after species by the Japanese fleet, the Taiwanese fleet, Korea, United States, and Canada. And, um, and you can see the, um, a little bit from Mexico. And um, I was only able to get this to um, 2011. And in 2011, the uh, total catch by all those countries in the North Pacific Ocean was 60, 67,000 metric tons of albacore. And then I was able to get the um, data from 2012 to 2016, took the average of that, that was 71,000 metric tons over those, that time period. So fishing pressure really has stayed about the same since 2003. So fishing pressure may not really be a factor for why we were seeing albacore off of Alaska. I also mentioned that uh, large-scale climatic events can, can have effect on the movement of fish. Um, this is a simplified conceptual view of multi-decadal fluctuations between anchovy uh, and down here, um, in, which is a, a cooler water um, regime, and then um, sardine, the sardine regime, which is a, um, a warmer phase associated with water temperature. Um, the, uh, the, the group that did this um, looked back at data going back to, 19, uh, to the, to the uh, turn of the last century, uh, 1900, and found that every 25 years there's approximately a, a shift between the dominant phase and the, and the um, between the two, two regimes. So from um, 1900 to 1925, we had, um, a cool phase, so we had more anchovies. That switched in 1950 to 75 for a warm phase, which coincides a lot with, um, or excuse me, from 1925 to 1950, we had a warm phase, coincides with uh, the, the Monterey sardine fisheries heyday and, and John Steinbeck and, and um, all that on, on um, up, up there. Um, so, um, so these large climatic events are, are occurring in the ocean. So when fish start moving, is it a response to, the, to these 25-year periods, or is it to, to longer-term trends in, in the ocean's temperature? Um, the point here is that they're naturally occurring, and they must be taken into account when we, when we talk about climate change. A case in point, um, I was able to find this on the, on the internet. 
uh, I didn't truncate it. That's that's how I it was it was uh, I was able to copy it. But it says albacore tuna exploration in Alaska and adjacent waters, 1949. So albacore have been showing up in Alaska periodically, at least going back to 1949 when when Fish and Wildlife Service uh, recorded that. Okay, let's let's switch now to food availability. As I mentioned, food availability can also be a factor in, in affecting fish distributions. And there are different rates of shift um, for, for species. Um, this is one of the, one of the things that I uh, was amazed, uh, amazed me when I went through the literature, and that is that shifting species tend to have faster life histories than normal, than non-shifting species. So they, they, they reproduce quickly, they die young or the diet over several years, uh, have significantly smaller body sizes, faster maturation, and smaller sizes at maturity. Fishes with the most temperate, temperature sensitive distributions include key prey species of non-shifting predators, so sardines. And albacore are top predators um, and feed on opportunistically on schooling, schooling stocks, sardine, anchovy, squid, souries, so let's look at let's look at sardines and, and uh, their potential movements um, further north. So Pacific sardine, um, there was a study done by Fisheries and Oceans uh, in Canada, and um, they found that um, Jacqueline King was the the, the uh, lead author. Uh, they found that Pacific sardine feeding off British Columbia are produced off the California and Mexican coast. So there's a stock of sardine that, that reproduce in our waters and, and south of us and move up uh, each year up to British Columbia. So there, is, there are fish, are, are sardines that are available uh, to, to the albacore further north. The, they found that the Pacific sardine population experiences population fluctuations but warmer coastal waters from climate change may result in greater abundance. And the potential exists for resident populations being established off British Columbia. So the point of this slide is that there is um, potential prey available for albacore if they were um, to eventually settle further or extend their range further north. And then we're... Um, I also mentioned spawning areas, suitable spawning and uh, spawning habitat. You saw this slide before, but I want to concentrate on the, on the pink area, the spawning area for albacore. So that's roughly 10 degrees north to 25 degrees north in the central and uh, western Pacific Ocean. So the, the, the uh, albacore spawn in that area and then will move to the further north in their distributional range. They'll start moving to the west uh, towards, the, uh, towards North America to feed, and, and that we have a really large albacore season starting in June, and it goes through about um, this time, maybe October. Um, the fish will start returning back to uh, their spawning grounds. There was not, uh, when I was putting this together, there was not any, um, any research on albacore uh, spawning habitat as it relates to climate change and, and whether that might be a factor. But uh, 
albacore is a, is a temperate tuna, meaning that it, it prefers cooler waters than our what we call tropical tunas like skipjack, big eye, and yellowfin tuna. Those, those favor more equatorial waters. So I was able to uh, find some work um, that was prepared uh, by scientists at, um, with NIMPS and, and some other organizations on bluefin tuna. Bluefin tuna is, is a lot like uh, albacore in that it's also considered a temperate species, and you do find it in, in, in northern waters. Um, on their work, that they looked at, and I just want to concentrate on the lower diagram, the, the triangles, but that's the spawning area, or the, or the area where they found larval uh, bluefin tuna that will migrate from the Atlantic into the Gulf uh, each year to spawn. And um, what, they, what they speculated was that their potential for significant impacts on spawning and migration for bluefin tuna was very high. And if spawning, and this is an if, if spawning is triggered by temperature um, and the Gulf of Mexico war waters warm earlier in the year, then spawning may com commence sooner and it may finish sooner. And that may change migration routes and spawning behaviors of the bluefin. It also may require colonization of new spawning ground. So um, they, they, they found, felt that a lot of this was still speculative, but in their models, there was this potential that change in, in surface water temperatures was going to affect the spawning habitat of bluefin. So let's summarize um, the climate change effects on, on albacore dis distribution. Uh, one of the points that I made was that not all fish species display distributional shifts related to climate change. Albacore, as I mentioned, is a tropical or is a temperate tuna, and it prefers to feed um, in cooler water. So it's not un unlikely that the fish could move further north as, as climate change continues. Uh, fishing pressure can also play a role in fish distributions and can be particularly strong for some species. I concluded the fishing pressure looks fairly constant over the last 14, 15 years. Short time span, but that's, that's what we had to work with, and probably not a factor for why we were seeing albacore off of uh, Alaska. Fish size affects different sensitivities to climate change. Albacore prefer prey. Um, their preferred prey could establish itself further north and be available. So there, we talked about the sardines potentially having uh, the ability to spawn off of uh, British Columbia at, during warmer temperatures. Um, so albacore could establish itself further north and still have a food supply. And then potential for significant impacts on spawning and migration is high. That may play a role in, their al in albacore productivity, but probably not yet affecting their distribution. So that's our, our uh, case study of, um, of albacore. And what I wanted to do now was go into uh, the second part of my presentation and what this means to fisheries and fisheries management and food security. So um, I wanted to um, at least in, inform um, form you all about the, the value of, of US fisheries, and this just comes out of the uh, 
Fisheries of the USA that was just, just recently published. And um, I'm not going to really spend any time on this, but just the value uh, of $5.3 billion to the, to the economy in, in uh, 2016. Um, that's a pretty high number. And then in the lower area, we see that um, that value as it's distributed around the country, uh, the Atlantic, Coast states, their fisheries um, contribute to 39% of, uh, of the value of, of, uh, of U.S. fisheries, both state-managed and federally managed, 16% in the Gulf, 29% in Alaska, and then 13% um, of value on, on the Pacific, and that would also be uh, Hawaiian Islands. So what is climate change impacts to uh, fisheries and to fisheries management? Uh, some species or some fisheries and some species will increase, others will decline. That's, that's one of the predictions by uh, a number of scientists. I mentioned uh, the difference between tropical tuna, such as skipjack and, and big-eye tuna, and temperate tuna like uh, big-eye, or excuse me, uh, bluefin and albacore. And one, one study predicted that the skipjack population would grow by 19% in the warmer waters by 2035. And big-eye tuna, which is also uh, tropical tuna, uh, would increase uh, marginally, and they didn't define what marginally meant. Um, fisheries and species will not necessarily respond the same way in all regions. We kind of saw that with the uh, place in the and the sole fisheries, um, they responded different ways. Shifts of marine taxa may sub substantially affect local fishing communities. Um, I think that should have been a verb effect. Um, and species may shift from one management jurisdiction to another. So these are things that under climate change, fishery managers need to be thinking about. How do they deal with that? Uh, are these movements uh, in jurisdiction between states, um, between federal fishery management councils, or between uh, international commissions that, that manage the tunas. One of the uh, studies that uh, the Northeast Fishery Science Center um, in Woods Hole uh, conducted um, well, uh, on, on looking at climate change was to look at shifts and predict where the centers of biomass would be uh, in uh, 60 to 80 years. And they looked at Atlantic croaker, green, summer flounder, in um, orange, and uh, purple for American lobster. And so the open circles are currently where these three species, their center of, of, of uh, biomass, the center of, of where is most of the stock concentrated. And they predict that in 60 to 80 years, there's going to be a shift northward. Um, more so for the summer flounder and the Atlantic croaker than for, for lobster. But as you, as you look at the map, you, you realize that fishermen that were in Reedville or on Chessie or Cape May are now going to be going further. Or, so they may be, those fishing communities could be impacted. Um, and some of the fishing communities further north uh, might all of a sudden have new resources to be, to be fishing. So these are things, again, that, that management needs to be thinking about, and fishermen and fishing communities need to be thinking about. 
So I worked for, uh, as Jerry mentioned, I worked for NOAA Fisheries uh, for 30 years. So it's really hard, even though I've been retired for two and a half years, to forget that I'm still no longer a federal employee. So I wanted to put in a plug for what NOAA Fisheries is doing and looking at climate change and, and their climate science strategy. Um, they have, um, these all represent the Western region, Alaska, Pacific Islands, Caribbean, Gulf of Mexico, Southeast and Northwest. Those all represent regions uh, that uh, the agency is, is, works around. Uh, so there's a western region, which includes all of, uh, from Seattle all the way down to, to Long Beach. And um, the uh, science centers, uh, we have several science centers. One's in La Jolla. There's one in Seattle uh, and, and around the country. And the science centers and the, and the regional offices in the different regions all got together. They had um, input from uh, external stakeholders. And they came up with a, a series of regional action plans. And the whole goal of these plans is to provide decision makers, people that uh, manage the fisheries, uh, enough information to reduce impacts and increase the resilience of valuable marine resources and the people that depend on them. So the agency, the government is, is looking forward, is looking at how this may impact uh, communities, fishermen, and you know, how is that gonna affect that $5.3 billion uh, revenue generator that we saw for 2016. This is also being looked at, at the, on a global scale. Um, this was a study that was done several years ago on the vulnerability of national economies from potential climate change impacts on fisheries. And the vulner vulnerability index that was used looked at exposure sensitivity and the ability uh, of adapt adaptation, uh, the capacity for adaptation by those fishing communities. And the, the yellow is very low, um, least, least vulnerable to climate change. Those countries in yellow will be able to adapt and, and uh, be able to still generate um, income for their fishermen and, and have supply, uh, sufficient supplies of, of fishery resources. And the dark brown are, is very, very vulnerable. So we have off um, the Northwest South America, parts of Africa, Asia. Um, you, you'll see that, you can see from that, that they're, they're very vulnerable to changes in climate change to their fisheries. And then what was remarkable is up at the top, Russia and Ukraine are also very vulnerable. vulnerable um, and, and part of that is even though they have very large fishing fleets, um, they have a high level of exposure and uh, they don't have the adaptive capacity for switching to other fish species as some of the other countries. So it's just another way of looking forward as to how does the global, um, how does the world look at, at potential changes for fisheries. Uh, we, we import a lot of fish into the United States and 80% um, of the fish that we do consume actually is imported. So that also affects um, these sources that would be providing imports to the United States. What is that gonna do to our supply of fish? Something, something's to think about. Uh, and so the last uh, item I wanted to talk about was food security, the food supply uh, as, as it pertains to, uh, to uh, seafood protein. 
So we live in a, in a, in a, a world that a population is still growing. Uh, we're undergoing climate change. So how do we provide for the world's population? And that's going to depend on um, climate-driven dri changes to the productivity of the world's oceans, obviously, and the performance of fishery management systems. So as fish shift, as fishermen shift, management needs to respond to that so that we, we minimize overfishing, we minimize impacts to uh, organisms that are caught during fishing that were not targeted, what we call bycatch. Um, there will only be modest increases in sustainable global yields for capture fisheries, commercial fisheries. As I mentioned, there, we're going to see a big increase, a 19% increase in skipjack tuna uh, by 2035. That's only a prediction, but other species are not going uh, to do as well. So how do we make up for that? Well, the, the need to rely on both large-scale and small-scale aquaculture can't be emphasized anymore. That uh, it is going to be very important to um, all the countries' seafood security, all the world's uh, countries' seafood security, um, and it's something that, that uh, I think is a take-home message that um, we need to be thinking about. So. Albacore tuna off Alaska, you got to be kidding. Maybe not. So. And that uh, concludes my presentation. And, Jerry, I think we have a lot of time for questions. Thank you.